0: you would open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Those of you that are joining us for the first time this morning, we are working through Daniel. We have spent three weeks in chapter 1, probably do the same in chapter 2. Some of you, uh, some of us, I should say, were at the Care Net banquet this past Tuesday. It was an evening designed to educate and to raise the financial resources necessary for that ministry to continue and thrive and grow as it is during out, throughout the year. It's to raise the need awareness, educate in unplanned and at many times uh, unwanted pregnancies. Tremendous ministry here in town and nationally. It was a privilege to be a part of it. The keynote speaker that night was a man named Tony Evans, who is a fellow DTS grad, like my brother and myself. He uh, is a South Oak Cliff pastor in Dallas, and he's also a world renowned preacher, as many of you know. Well, in his address, he had talked about being stranded in New York City at the time when that, remember that massive power grid blackout hit the Northeast in 2003? Well, they were taking their luggage at the curbside place down at the bottom at LaGuardia Airport before you go into the airport itself and were checking in their baggage and they noticed that that's when it hit. They didn't know what it was at the time, but it was enough to stall everything. So the airport went out, all energy left And they waited in line with thousands of others all over the airport for hours on end throughout the day, wondering what's going on, wondering what the slow up is. Well, finally, uh, later that night, after hours of sitting in line, trying to entertain themselves, wondering if they're going to catch their flight back to Dallas to get back here. uh, An announcement came over the loudspeaker that LaGuardia International Airport in New York City is closed for the night. As soon as that last syllable or sound left that speaker's tone, all of a sudden there was a mad dash for taxis and cell phones, beeping like crazy and calling like crazy to try to book places for the night. Now you can imagine people running for taxis, people clicking on their cell phone, and finally Tony said he was able to finally find a hotel that had one room in it. And the guy told him, you have 10 minutes to get here, or we give it to somebody else. He called it, I went into an evangelical urgency, commonly known as pulsating anger, (laughs) quickly got a cab and shot over to this airport. They made it on time, uh, were greeted by an usher or a bellhop, whatever they were, with a flashlight, and led through the lobby by that flashlight, were taken up the stairs by that flashlight, this little light, went into their room, opened the door, found their place for their baggage, and then the little light left as the flashlight went down the hall and down the elevator and out to the lobby to find somebody else. And they were left alone, uh, dark, not able to see, and also very stuffy and very hot. Now, if you could imagine what an August Texas night would be like, New York is pretty comparable at this time, but when... When there is no electricity for light, there's no electricity for A.C. And so uh, Tony's wife, uh, stumbling around in the darkness, uh, went to find the window to try to open it and get some air circulating in. And when that happened, uh, that's when it happened, as he said. She grabbed these big drapes, pulled them back, and wham! light shone in the darkness a great light shined forth and they both were just astounded in wonder at staring at this light that was hitting them full face blinking they finally looked through and saw the source of this great light identifying the source they quickly ran out of their room ran down the stairs went through the lobby out the front doors of the hotel, across the street, and into the light of Marriott. <laughs> they ran into the light of Marriott, where they saw happy faces everywhere. <laughs> happy faces having conversations at the street corner and outside, enjoying the light Happy faces going into a restaurant that works and has light and having a nice meal. Happy faces of people who are sitting in the lobby, reading the sport page, enjoying a can't put down novel. Happy faces and conversations of people taking their baggage, going up an elevator and into a, a cool lighted room. Happy faces enjoying the light. Well, Tony... Grabbed the Marriott worker and he said, How can this be? The whole city's blacked out. And the worker said, We knew that something like this, we didn't know it was this, but we knew something like this would happen sometime. And so we got prepared. We have our very own generator. So the light will never go out here at Marriott. <laughs> right? Now, can I speak very frankly to two groups of us here today, the, the churchgoer and the non-churchgoer? I want to speak to the churchgoer very bluntly, very frankly. We right now, churchgoers, we right now, individually in our own lives, And as a community, whether this is your community or you're at a community in another church somewhere else, we, churchgoers, are being tempted right now to pull the plug on the only generator that produces light in a massive spiritual blackout in the world today. We're constantly tempted to reach over and pull the plug on the light of God's Word. In the name of mission and the name of being spiritually relevant, we're becoming non-missional and irrelevant because we're pulling the plug on the light of God's Word, which is the only light and the only thing that makes us relevant and the only thing that makes us missional, which is the light of God's Word. We're being tempted to buy into the personality cult where grace is somehow disment is disseminated through a person and a personality. Particularly, it needs to be charismatic, not in gifts, but charismatic in personality. It needs to be able to attract the warm, huge crowd and be able to be warm and friendly with people. We need church growth techniques, is what we're told. We're told that we need to have cafeteria-style catering to an endless list of felt needs for the consumers that come through the doors. We're told that we need to pull the plug for personal experiences and we need to have powerful worship encounters and powerful worship music. That's the light in a spiritually blacked-out world. We're told that we need to christianized culture we're told that it's duty and it's discipline i mean we're told many many kind of things and there's also another way in speaking frankly to all of us since we're all here and we're having a conversation is that we're also losing the light of the story of scripture you know what i mean by this in other words we're, we're going from the light that's found in the power of a gospel storyline that unifies the whole of Scripture, and we're losing the light and the power of the hero of the storyline instead to grab this, this floating, separated pieces of principles and abstract ideas. And how-tos and techniques. And we treat the Bible like this encyclopedia that you look up your topic, you grab your topic, apply it to your life. And I want to say this again since we're being very frank. Spiritual principles, spiritual morals, spiritual how-tos have no divine light in them. Only Jesus does. The principle, the technique is a derivative of his light, his power, the gospel storyline. Okay. now, those of us here that are not used to going church. You know that you're stumbling around in a personal blackout right now. You know it. You know you go from one flashlight to another. When the battery runs out of this one, throw it away. I know I've got tons of those disposable batteries at home. You grab another one. Click. And you go from one little light to another little light. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's, I've got to go to a new place. Maybe it's escaping in my work. Maybe it's getting caught in some bad addictive behavior. Maybe it's more belief in yourself. Maybe it's, Gaining acceptance in a new community. Maybe it's finding this religious, rigid pursuit of codes and lists to live by so that you can order and control your world. But you know, you know, you're scrambling around in the darkness. You know what the good news in Daniel 2 is? It's for those who know the colors of darkness. You know the colors of darkness when you've been in it a long time. We tend to think there's only one color in darkness, dark, it's black. But those of you here who have been in darkness a long time, you know, you could turn to your neighbor right now and you can say, Oh, I know all the colors of darkness. I know what it looks like. This passage is for all of those who know the color of darkness and long for light. That's what Daniel 2 is about. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at verses 1 through 30. So it is long, again, like chapter 1 was for us. So stand as long as you can bear it. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. The king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to the king to tell his dreams. So they came in, and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, which is an interesting switch, O king, live forever. Tell your servant the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation." They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation." The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry, and he was very furious, and he commanded the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out. The wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them too. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. So Daniel went in, requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house. He made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness. And here's the key line. And the light dwells with him. Let's skip down. I want you to go to 25. Ariok brings Daniel before the king in haste. And notice what he says to him. I found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king its interpretation. So the king said to Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O King, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the King, and you may know the thoughts of your own mind. The Word of the Lord. Please be seated. O oh Lord, we do acknowledge that you, and in you alone dwells light. And so, Lord, help us in our darkness. Even now we live in darkness. We dwell in darkness, and you live in light. We need your light. And so, O oh Lord, would you shine the light of the glories of Christ? Into our hearts that we might see him and by seeing him become like him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, about 2,600 years ago, there was a massive, massive blackout that hit one of the greatest empires of all time. It came on the heels of probably the greatest empire of all time, which was David's empire. This massive blackout started with probably, outside of David, the greatest pagan king of all time and swept through one of the greatest cities of all time. We're talking about the Babylonian blackout 2,600 years ago. Look at verse 1. Here's where it started. Second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled. His sleep left him. What's fascinating about this is that Old Testament scholars say it's a common ancient Near Eastern belief that when, meaning common, meaning from high officials down to the laborer out in the field, everyone in the kingdom understood this common belief. And that was this that if a king had something extraordinary happen to him, it didn't just reside or had implications for the king alone. If the king had something extraordinary happen to him, it had binding implications for everyone in the kingdom. So when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, it wasn't just a personal, private matter. It wasn't an issue of, well, you know, this year will I add 20 or 200 concubines to my fleet of wives? Uh, Will my people love me? Will my people like me? How will I be remembered in history? When an extraordinary event happens like this to the king, it becomes global. It becomes binding and personal for every single one in the kingdom. And that's why there's verse 2. That's why he gets up immediately and he calls the professional elite interpreters into his presence. What he's doing is one commentator said, this is a focus group consultant. These are the trend spotters. These are the spin meisters. These are the folks that were the worldview specialists in their day. They had a hand on the times. They were the ones that when, when they declared it so, it was so. In other words, when someone was looking for meaning in the present realm, these guys would come forth and say, this is what it means. I declare this to be the meaning of what's happening. And when they would come and be asked about things into the future, future directions, they were approached and they would declare what the intent or the direction of the future meant. These guys were the the worldview elitists. They were specialists, professionals in interpreting reality in that day. And so this close connection, obviously lands in their life and lands in the whole kingdom and that's why everybody seems to be getting stressed out about it because look what happens in verse 5 the king answered and said to the chaldeans the word from me is firm if you don't make it known you'll be torn limb from limb and not only that i'm going to level your house i mean you think about that well if you torn me limb from limb i don't know if i really care about my house But, I get your point, right? High stress. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar is going against the common practice in the ancient Near East. The common practice is, O king, tell us your dream. We'll give you the interpretation. O king, what was the content of your dream? And then they pull out these thick scrolls and they unroll these scrolls of dream interpretation. Ah, certain flight patterns mean this. Ah, different shapes of the livers of certain animals, particularly sheep, means this. Incredible, bizarre births mean this. New star patterns mean this. Your dream, what kind of dream was it? Oh, we can choose from all these different interpretations that have been passed down through generations in the Mesopotamian culture. So, King, three times, tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. And the King says, No. Tell me the dream. In other words, who brings the light? Who brings the light? Where are the bringers of the light? Do you? Do you bring the light? Tell me the dream, and I'll know you bring the light. Tell me the dream, and I know you'll give the right interpretation. Tell me the dream. Because Nebuchadnezzar was desperate in his darkness. And because he was, guess what happened to the professional elite? They're desperate too. I mean, when we get down to verse 10 and 11, notice what they say. There's not a man on earth that can do what you ask, King. Not a man. Only the gods. Only the gods could ask and give and do that. Now, this massive Babylonian blackout didn't just hit Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon in Daniel 2 for the first time. It's not like all of a sudden they're being hit with a spiritual blackout. No, the whole world has been under a spiritual blackout, continues to be under a spiritual blackout, a rolling power grid blackout that affects not only the Northeast, but also the South, the West, the whole world. Ever since the fall in the garden, ever since sin came into the world, a massive spiritual blackout hit the world. But what's happening here is that this is this is a time in Babylon when all the little flashlights ran out of batteries. This is a time when everyone in the kingdom knows there is no light. All artificial light is gone. Flashlights gone and everyone's stressed and everyone's desperate. In verse 10 and 11, we see that no light is found in the kingdom of Babylon, period. None. Now. This is what needs to happen to us when we listen and we enter into and step in the shoes of a culture 2,600 years ago, a message of God to a culture back then. What is this passage doing to you and me today? What's to be happening here is we're to be in the scene and in the palace. We're almost, we're there when he's dreaming. We're there when he's, we see him, we see the king and we see him tossing and turning because he's having the dream. Because that's what the text says. Remember verse 1. He's tossing and turning. You can see that he's bothered. We're watching it. And then his eyes, boom! He opens his eyes and he looks right at us. He gets up and he can't sleep. Immediately he goes and he calls his, his chief eunuch and he says, Bring them! Bring them all! Now! He summons them all before him and we're all like, what's going on? We're all there. We're all watching this. And we see him because we're, we're learning our history and we know, oh, this is not just because he had a nightmare. And this is not because it has something to do just with him. In ancient Near Eastern culture, king and kingdom were bound. So the fate of the king and the fate of the kingdom. Okay, so everybody's excited about this. And we're putting ourselves in this situation. And we start seeing all the flashlights, the artificial lights, going out. The enchanter, oh, sorry. The diviner, oh, sorry. The astrologer, shh, mine doesn't work either. And everyone's left in darkness. And what this passage is designed to do is to take not only the Babylonian, but take you and me to where this passage is going, and that is to feel desperate in your own darkness. That's what this passage is doing. It's taken all of us by the hand, and it's saying, do you know that you have no light? Do you feel the desperation of your own lightless soul? Look at verse 22 and look at the third line. And the light dwells with him. That's where we're going to go, but it's going to be a dark night before we get there. So that's the morning and we're going to get there, but we're going to to walk in the night for a little bit. But what we need to see right now is we need to have a deep and defining awareness of our complete inability to see that light in 23, third line. In other words, you need to despair, I need to despair, we need to be desperate, we need to be stressed. There is no light found in us, and we can't see that light in 23. Now Sally, her greatest strength has always been her mind. She's a first-time learner. You know those kind of people... I sat with them on my right and my left throughout my whole education and even in seminary. First time learners, they hear it the first time, oh, and they ask a question of the professor and they go beyond what they just heard. And I'm still trying to figure out what the professor just said. First time learners, photographic memory, rabid reader, off the charts clarity of thought and creativity of thought, this is Sally, and what separates her even further from the pack Not only does she have this clean, clear thinking, she can communicate too. So, you not only want to get, you don't want to compete with her in microbiology or nuclear physics, but you don't want to debate with her whether the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles, should have left Veterans Stadium or not. You don't even want to get into a conversation about that with her. She can communicate. She's smart, she can communicate. To Sally, though, the reliability of the Bible and the claims of Christ are like a folksy fairy tale from faraway lands. However, in spite of her great mind, there are more global and gutsy questions than Shakespeare and science that seem to prick at her all the time. Global stuff, real gutsy stuff that just pick and pick and pick. Especially in days and certain times like when her dad died. Especially at days and certain times like when that relationship broke up especially certain days and certain times like when these unbelievable earth world-shattering events hit the headline news in the evening. And she finds herself wondering, what is so terribly wrong with this world? And then, why? Why can't reason fix it? Why can't education fix it? She wonders out loud. You know, global, gutsy questions. Pick, pick, pick. And then when she really gets rolling late at night, she starts thinking, why does my mind and my heart seem to push towards a rest, even a truth, push towards a rest and even a truth beyond the pieces of my own knowledge? Beyond the authority of my own reason and my mind, my mind and my heart seem to want to push beyond that. It wants to push beyond this peace knowledge that I've gained and I've got, wants to find some ultimate rest and some ultimate truth and something beyond my pieces of knowledge. Why does my mind and heart seem to push for rest, even truth, and asking questions like, Who am I? Why am I here? And what's going to happen to me after I die? And then the one question that will keep everyone up all night, if you dare to entertain it, she asks it. Is there a greater interpretation of reality? A greater wisdom? A greater revelation of truth? A greater light out there, beyond what I see and beyond the authority of my own mind. But Sally gets up and she turns on the TV. You Sally's that are out there becoming desperate in your darkness is a very good thing. Becoming desperate in your darkness and recognizing that you are blind to the light Of 22, third line, the light that dwells with him, this light that is a supra light, this light that is an ultra light, this light that is a new creational light, this light that is a spiritual light, this light that is a kingdom come light, this light that is a otherworldly light. You who are desperate in your darkness and recognizing that it's a good thing that you do. Because here's the situation. Our situation is this. Our light ends with the world around us. We all have a certain flashlight. And it's called creation. And it's all around us. It's what we see. And we all have that light, that small light, that little light, that flashlight. We all have it and we all have access to it. It's out here. You walk outside. You look at your neighbor. You're sitting on a chair. You're looking at me. You're able to hear. We're communicating. There's language. There is... There is general light, general wisdom, general truth, general knowledge of God that all of us access. Now, some do it better than others. Some of us do access it better than others. But all of us don't get it right all the time. We're not infallible interpreters of this creational light around us. We're not. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we are... Good interpreters or bad interpreters are the good, the beautiful, and the true all around us. That's why when you look at science books, how many editions are there? How many things need to be changed in science from year to year? Oh, the more PC way of saying revised and updated, right? Not just, we got it wrong. Other things, we get it wrong in just everyday events. You know, you look at a celebration up in D.C. and you come to find out, no, it wasn't a celebration. It was a riot. Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. We see a neighbor across the street and we think, oh, someone's trying to break in their house. We call the police and we realize, no, that was the neighbor. That was his house. We get it right, we get it wrong when we interpret events around us. We also get it right and get it wrong in interpersonal communication. Wife comes home, husband's angry, wife says, why are you angry at me? And he says, I'm not angry at you, I just had a horrible day. We get it wrong. You know, guys and girls, you're getting to that age and you're wondering about the one and you see this one particular girl and you're very interested and you want to spend some time and make your move, and, but she seems very distant and very cold and uninterested. Well, it turns out she's very interested and very warm to the idea of your interest. But you got it wrong. We misinterpret all the time the little flashlight, general wisdom, general truth of the light of creation all around us. All the time. We live, we learn, we relate, we move and work in the light of general revelation. Nebuchadnezzar and these professional elites, they had access to general revelation. They had access to this general light. But that's not the point of what's going on here. It's not the point of why they're desperate. It's not even the point of what Paul would say in Romans, which would say is true. Even the general truth of God, the general light of God, the general wisdom of God that we interpret rightly and wrongly sometimes, Romans says all of us hold it down like beach balls in the water. Holding down the truth, we suppress the truth about God. That's revealed. We all do it. That's not even the point here. The point in Daniel 2 is. There's no more light that we can see beyond this. It's a spiritual blackout. Beyond us. We have no access. To the light that dwells with God. That's the desperation here. That's the desperation we need to feel, and we need to feel it deeply, and it's a good thing to feel it deeply, that there's no light beyond this. The light ends for you and me in general revelation. We are spiritually blind to otherworldly kingdom come new creational light. Now, if you begin to feel desperate, it's a good thing because then you're pushed into verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. No one can show it to you, is what they're saying. King, no one can show this to you. Only the gods can, and they're not from flesh. And the answer is the Babylonian elite knew that this light was an otherworldly light that this light was a light that only the gods could reveal, that this light was not from flesh. So if they were from Texas and they came up to light, they'd say, you ain't from around these parts, are you, boy? This is a light of another kind, and there's no access to it, and they know it. And when you begin to get desperate in your darkness, you're pushed into 11 and you begin to see that there is a light that comes from God that He alone can give. That it must be someone who's not a flesh. That God must give the light in our darkness. So only God gives the light in our darkness and we never move beyond this. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever. We never move beyond the point that God alone gives the light. If you're an unbeliever, you never move beyond. You're spiritually blacked out. You have no access to this other light that comes from God. Only God can give it. That's the point. And believer... In your state, and in your affairs, and whatever's going on in your life, whatever your spiritual darkness is, it could be your sin, and it could be your struggle with temptations, it could be your need for strength and endurance, it could be your power to be able to obey, it could be a whole host of things. You never move beyond the fact that only God can give the light. So only God gives the light when our darkness is a foggy future, only God can give the light when our darkness is we're feeling forgotten by God. Only God can give the light. Now, the application here immediately for us is this. We need to humbly admit this. Humbly admit this. In other words, you say stuff like this. When you begin to get desperate in your darkness, you start saying stuff because you get humble. and You start saying, oh God, I dwell in darkness. You live in light. I need your light. I dwell in darkness. You live in light. I need your light. Only you can give it. And you humble yourself before Him. And that's a good thing. So when you get desperate in darkness, you're pushed into verse 11. And you start realizing that only God brings the light. He's the bringer of the light. He alone can do it, and He alone does do it. But how do you know, how do you know that God will hear you when you call upon Him to give you light? And that's what we're going to end with. How do you know that? How do you know you call out to God right now? I need light. I know that I dwell in darkness. How do you know he hears you? How do you know he answers you? How do you know he's going to bring the light? How do you know that? Well, I want you to look at verse 22 again. Look at the third line, the light that dwells with God. We've got to ask ourselves, what kind of light is this? Because the answer is found in there. What kind of light is this? Now, the answer is found in the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, you'll notice we didn't read 31 and on. There's a lot to go in this chapter. But the content of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we're going to fully unpack in another sermon. Maybe we'll get to it next week or the week after, most certainly. But the point we need to get out of right now is the answer is found in what kind of light it is. And the answer is found in verse, let's look at verse 44 and 45. We didn't read it, but I want us to look over at it. Here's the answer. This is how you know that when you cry out to him in your darkness, you know that he hears you. You know that he will answer you. You know that he'll bring the light to you. And again, what kind of darkness could it be? It could be all kinds of darknesses. If you're an unbeliever, you're trapped in your sin. You know that you have a death sentence hanging over you because of your sin. You call out to him. How do you know he hears you? You're a believer and you're struggling in the darkness. And that can be in many types of colors. Stuff about your future, stuff about interpersonal relations, confusion. It can be everything from struggling with temptation to knowing that you lack the strength and the power to walk with God. All kinds of things. Needing wisdom, lacking direction. All right, let's look at 44. And in those days, in the days of those kings of God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain, its interpretation is sure. Did you catch that? This dream is certain, its interpretation is sure. How do you know? This dream is certain. Its interpretation is sure. There is the light of a redeeming king and his kingdom. And he comes and he rescues. And his mission is that he was sent into this dark world to bring light, to rescue those in light. So if you call out to him, I'm coming, he says. And how does he come? How bright is this light? Just look at it. Never be destroyed. Never left to another people. Now, this is so ironic because this is everything Israel's experienced. Israel's experienced their king's been destroyed and left to Babylon. Jerusalem is destroyed, left to Babylon. The temple is destroyed, left to Babylon. Temple trinkets destroyed, taken to Babylon. God is destroyed, left to Babylon. That's all they know. And they're hearing about a king that rides on light and he's going to seize the son of man. And it will never be destroyed. Never be left to another people. In fact, it shall break into pieces, verse 44, all the kingdoms of the earth and bring them to an end. Why? Because he's moving into the darkness. And when he moves, darkness breaks. I mean, this is sheer sovereignty. This is overarching authority. This is the kind of word that when he commands it, worlds are cast into being. And the kind of authority that when he comes, he shatters all frozen kingdoms. He breaks them all to pieces. It's like playing bowling with glass pins. And he's the rock that we see here. And it's everything shattered. The other thing that's said here is that it stands forever. So there's no stumbling. There's no sitting ever. It's all standing. Everlasting security, everlasting happiness, salvation, joy, enjoyment of the light forever and ever. It stands. And notice too, the last thing about this light, it's a great stone cut from the mountain, verse 45. Now notice what it says about this stone. It's not cut from human hands. It's a stone that can't be made by self-effort. It's a stone that can't be worked for. It's a stone that can't be built. It's a stone that can't be performed. It's a stone of grace. It's only given freely, unmerited, and in the midst of your demerit and your darkness. So how do you know that the Lord hears your cries for His light? How do you know He's going to answer you? because God sent this light into the world to defeat your darkness that's why and he hears all cries of those in darkness and he's the bringer of the light so when Nebuchadnezzar is saying who brings the light who brings it and Daniel says there's only one Nebuchadnezzar And you get a sneak preview. King of kings. Lord of lords. The rider of the light. So race out of your dark room. Race down your dark stairs. Race through your dark lobby. Race out your dark door. Race across your dark street into the light of the world and enjoy His light forever and ever. Amen.